This week on Blue 58, we all need to take a deep breath on Aaron Rodgers' contract. It's going to get done. I'll tell you why patience is a virtue worth remembering in this situation. Then let's take a quick look at the Packers' revenue situation and why it's good for the league before we dive into talking about what we expect from whom on defense this year. We'll wrap up by talking about whether or not Brett Hundley's receivers played a role in his disappointing 2017 season. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of Blue 5890. I am your fearless host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here for another episode. A day late, yes I know. Last week I gave you a long explanation as to why things were delayed. This week it just involved a car that was smoking on the side of the road, a long wait for a tow truck, and a frustrating trip to the auto mechanic. That's all I really care to get into in this situation. It's fine, but it wasn't fine yesterday. (laughs) I think we've all been there. Let's dive in to Aaron Rodgers' contract situation because this is one of those things that makes you just about as frustrated as a car randomly smoking as you're on a Tuesday morning. We have officially reached complete silly season on Aaron Rodgers' contract. And every time I think it can't get worse, it just does. Every time Aaron Rodgers says anything at all about his contract or somebody with any sort of clout in the media brings something up, it sets off an entire day of speculation as to what exactly he wants, what the Packers are giving him, why there isn't a deal done yet, and so on. This week, it's Peter King, who in his first column for NBC Sports wrote about Aaron Rodgers because he got a chance to talk to Aaron Rodgers, as one does from time to time. So he had this conversation with Rodgers and he wrote about it. And if you actually read what Peter King and Aaron Rodgers said, there's really not a whole lot of new information here. But Aaron Rodgers did say that he is looking to play till he's about 40, which is slightly different than what he said before. And you can see where things go from there. Everybody involved in this which is really a pretty short list of people if you think about it. The people actually involved in this situation are everybody who is, and Russ Ball and probably Brian Gutekunst, everybody who is else who is close to this or interested in this, I should probably say, needs to take a step back here. Consider how much actual information we have about this contract. We know that Aaron Rodgers has publicly stated multiple times he would like to play till at or around 40, We know that he has said repeatedly he wants to finish his career in Green Bay. We know that he thinks his contract is not, you know, up to snuff, which it isn't compared to what uh, some of the other quarterbacks in the league are making. And we also know that the Packers are working to get this deal done. And we know that Rodgers is working to get this deal done. Beyond that, as to what he wants, what the Packers want to give him, what features this contract could have, It's all pure speculation, and it just isn't worth anybody's time talking about what sorts of things could or could not be in that contract. This deal is going to get done. Both sides have an incentive to get this done. The Packers have incentive to get it done because it just gets it out of the way. They know they've got to update Rodgers' contract. It's it's worth their while to do so. They know that they're going to get it done eventually, and it's, like I said, in their best interest to do so. It's also in Rodgers' best interest to get this deal done as soon as possible, because unless the Packers, for some reason, would decide to release him, there's no way that he can get more money than he's getting right now unless this contract gets done. 
he's not going to get a chance to get to the open market unless some things go insanely wrong for four years. He's got two years left on his current deal, and the Packers can franchise him for two years after that. There is no situation where Rodgers gets to the open market and gets a chance to to get more money here unless the Packers decide to just cut him or they trade him to a different team and he re-signs with them. And do you really think the Packers are going to do that? No. So there's just nothing worth getting bent out of shape over here until we get some more information. It is also worth pointing out that the Packers, for running on about a decade now, have tended to do one big deal at the start of training camp almost every year. Jordy Nelson signed his last extension with the Packers like that. Morgan Burnett did. TJ Lang did. Devontae Adams and uh, Corey Lindsley were exceptions to that because they signed their deals towards the end of the year. But other than that, it's been almost every single season that the Packers have done a big deal towards the start of training camp. That's just how they tend to operate. And I'm willing to bet that's what happens this year. The Packers come back for camp a week the dash goes out. I'd be willing to bet that's about when things are going to get done with the Packers and Rodgers. It's not going to drag out. There's too much at stake for both sides here. They're going to get something done. It's worth it for all of us to just take a second Remember that we don't know a whole lot about what's going on here and realize that any information that's coming out in the media is probably not accurate anyway. Speaking about money, the Packers released their revenue information this week. This is good news for the Packers and for the league. There's been speculation for, ah, good grief, it's been over a year now, that various things going on in the world... I don't even want to name any of them by name, are going to be hurting the the overall revenue product for the NFL. And for what it's worth, I think the NFL's position within the media landscape is weaker now than it was three, four, five years ago. But based on the Packers' revenue situation, the NFL seems to be in pretty darn good shape because the Packers posted record revenue again for something like the eighth consecutive season. The revenue was only up by about 3.1% over last year, which isn't as good as it's been the past few years. They've gone up by about 5 to 8% in those, those recent years. But an increase is still an increase. And rumors of the NFL's decline appear to be at least slightly exaggerated. Now, we need to point out some people don't understand the difference between profits and revenue. Since you are an educated Packers listener, I'm sure that you know the difference, but just for the sake of, of my benefit, let's talk through it. Revenue is all of the money that you make in your fiscal year. Profits are the difference between your revenue and your expenses. It's the money that you get to keep. The Packers' profits were down. They were down for a couple reasons. First, they didn't make the playoffs. And if you don't make the playoffs, you don't make money off the games that you play in the playoffs. Everybody understands. But also, their player expenses were higher last year than they've been in recent years. Why was that? Well, they made two pretty major contract extensions towards the end of last season, the aforementioned Devontae Adams and Corey Lindsley deals. That cuts in to your profits because your expenses go up. This is pretty basic accounting. I only took one accounting class in my life, and it was all the way back in 
2007. It's getting farther and farther in the past somehow. But even I understand that. The Minneapolis Star Tribune apparently does not because they were crowing about how the Packers' profits were down this year because the Packers missed the playoffs. That is partly true. It's not entirely true. For the NFL as a whole, this is very good news, and even Vikings fans should be happy to learn that the Packers are making money because if the Packers are making money, there's a good chance that any other competently run NFL team is also making money. That includes the Vikings, who I hate to say are fairly competently run. They managed to swindle the billionaire owner to build enormous amounts of funding for their billionaire owner to build a stadium. They are, you know, obviously a competitive team. They're competitively run, so they are going to be making money. If the Packers are making money, the Vikings are making money. Anybody who's in the top half of the league is probably doing pretty well, at least comparable to the Packers. This is good news. If the Packers are making money, the NFL in good shape. Is it concerning that the Packers' revenue didn't grow as much as it has in previous years? Probably, probably a little bit, but there are some mitigating factors there, especially in the Packers' case. Nothing to be worried about, and it should be taken pretty much across the board as good news. Contrary to what many in the media seem to be saying, rumors of the NFL's demise appear to be greatly exaggerated. It's just not going away anytime soon. Anytime soon, meaning like three to five years. Uh, we've got out to 10 to 15 years, who knows? A lot of things can change. But for the, for the time being, the NFL is in very good shape. We did this last week for offense. Time to talk a little bit. Of, we did this last week for offense. Time to talk a little bit about defense. Defense is a little bit different than offense, but the large principles hold true. It's we are over the course We're going to be evaluating someone long term as we are over the course of the season to have some sort of baseline for what you expect from them. So we divide the roster into three kind of buckets of players, low expectations, moderate expectations, and high expectations. You get the, at the end of the season, we total all of the players up, or we, we get out our list of players and decide whether or not they met the expectations that we had for them. Did they exceed, meet, or not meet expectations. That's one of the three things that we give to each of these people. Within those three buckets of players, low, med, moderate, and high expectations, things do vary a little bit. As I said last week on offense, the expectations for Aaron Rodgers are high. The expectations for Corey Lindsley are also high, but they're different kinds of high for reasons that I should think are fairly obvious. The same is going to be true on defense. The expectations for Mike Daniels can be high, and the expectations for Kevin King can also be high, but they're different kinds of high. I think that should go without saying. So we're going to take a look at a couple of the guys that fall into each of these categories. I think there are some interesting questions about this year's defense uh, that lead to some interesting expectations for some of these guys. And like I said, the, the, the defense is in a little bit different of a position this year than the offense. Uh, with Mike Pettin coming in as the new defensive coordinator, it's tough to know exactly what to expect from some of those guys, especially towards the middle, which is why I think we end up with guys, more guys than you might expect with moderate expectations that we want to talk about. But in the same instance, because the Packers didn't add a lot of pieces at certain positions, you end up with some guys facing high expectations who on other teams or in a different year 
maybe moderate or even low. Guys like Vince Beagle, who we'll talk about here in just a little bit. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Let's start on the low end. Two defensive backs and two defensive linemen are are who I want to talk about on the low end here. Low expectation guys are, are where you're pretty much just expecting you're going to make the roster, make the 53, if anything, and maybe contribute as a special teams type player. You're going to be a deep depth sort of player. Think fifth, sixth on the depth chart on some of those more body heavy positions and getting some snaps on special teams, which is why we see Dimitri Goodson facing pretty low expectations this year. Dimitri Goodson was one of my favorite stories of 2017. He came back from a pretty remarkably devastating injury to practice and and have a real, it seemed like, shot to play for the Packers in 2017. That he made it as far back as he did from that injury was pretty incredible, and it says a lot about his work ethic as a player, the long, long hours that he put in, and it it was just cool to see. A lot of props to him. But, but, coming into 2017, I don't think there's anybody who's reasonably optimistic about his chances this year. If anything, he's going to have a shot to be, what, like the eighth, ninth defensive back on the depth chart coming into training camp? It's a pretty loaded position, at least in terms of bodies, and a guy who couldn't get back on the field last year and never really was a contributor on defense in the past, it's going to be tough for Dimitri Goodson, and this could be the end for him. I have not, I was not, I would say I probably am now, just given how he's, you know, grown and the the kind of his storyline as a player. I would say I'm probably a Dimitri Goodson. He's not a fan of him when he was drafted, but he's kind of won me over. Now, though, I think this story could be coming to an end. Similarly, Quentin Rollins is in a very tough situation, and his path to the 53, or at least sticking around beyond the, you know, beyond August could be the physically unable to perform list. As you'll remember, he tore his Achilles tendon early last season in the the Dallas game, I believe, or or maybe it was the Minnesota game. It was one of those two games. And an Achilles injury is just devastating. Most athletes don't come back to full strength after an Achilles tendon injury, especially not one whose speed was already suspect, like Quentin Rollins. I think if you're looking for anything beyond just making the roster for Quentin Rollins, you are being dramatically overly optimistic. And I can't fault you for that. I think if you're going to go through life being optimistic or pessimistic, I'd rather go through being an optimist. But in this particular situation, that optimism may not necessarily be warranted. Rollins, for kind of the balance of his career, has been in a bit of an awkward position. He didn't ask to be made a second-round pick, but he has always faced higher expectations than perhaps he should have because of just where he was drafted. In retrospect, he surely he surely should not have been a second-round pick. But that's where the Packers took him, and that's them's the breaks. Uh, you get you are expected to perform like a second-round pick because they passed up opportunities to take other guys in the second round and took you instead kind of just how it works out. It's not necessarily fair, but that's the position he's been in. And unfortunately, I think he's going to end his career having never lived up to those expectations that maybe he never was capable of meeting in the first place. That's sports. Um, It's frustrating and 
kind of silly, but that's how things work. Two defensive linemen, as I said, that I want to talk about, Tyler Lancaster and James Looney. Let's go in reverse order here and talk about James Looney. Actually, we kind of got to talk about both of them together because I think in any other year, most other years, maybe not last year, but in, in most years, guy li- guys like Lancaster, because they're interesting, would be near locks to make the roster just because they're interesting physical prospects. Both of them very athletic for their size. Lancaster especially has very unique size, though Looney um, is very athletic for the size that he is. And I think in most situations, they'd be the, or most years, they'd be guys that you want to keep around just for depth with uh, some interesting athletic capabilities. But this year, the Packers have an unusually deep defensive line, and that puts a bit of a damper on these guys' chances for making the roster. That said, defensive line, along with anywhere in the secondary, is one of those position groups where it always pays to have a couple extra bodies around because of how quickly your depth can evaporate. You don't tend to have all six, if you keep six or so, defensive linemen active on one Sunday. So if a couple of them go down, suddenly you're short on bodies, and it's good to have, sounds callous to say this, but a couple of spares around in case you would need to replenish your depth on short notice. They may not be active every Sunday, but at least you've got them around so you don't have to worry about losing guys on the practice squad. Remembering that the most difficult thing to find in any, any sport is guys that are both big and athletic. And if you can find those guys, it's worth keeping them around. That's why I think both of these guys have an outside shot and making the roster. I would pick Lancaster over over Looney just because I tend to like his size a little bit better. But you could go either way. Who knows what happens? And uh, an eye on both of these guys. They're facing pretty low expectations because of the depth ahead of them. But, you know, they're, they're worth talking about and remembering. Moderate expectations. This one was tough to do. And I'll give you my full list and we'll go one name at a time through this list. And I should point out that we will publish our entire list of every defensive player and every offensive player and where we have them slotted near the start of training camp. So within the next week or so, you'll, you'll be able to look at that and, and tear the list apart and give feedback and stuff like that. Moderate expectations, the guys I like to talk about, there are six of them. Montrevious Adams, Oren Burks, Josh Jackson, Dean Lowry, Chris Odom, and Lindsey Pipkin. So let's just go in alphabetical order here, starting with Montrevious Adams. I have cooled significantly on Montrevious Adams since about, well, this point last year. Uh, coming into the start of training camp, he was coming off good OTAs performances, was getting rave reviews from everybody in the locker room, and then he got hurt. Never really got his feet under him. He had a foot injury, so that semi-pun works multiple ways. And he really never developed into anything resembling the sort of third-round pick that we thought he could be. Now he's in a situation where he doesn't really have any pressure to play a big role, but he still bears that hallmark of being a third-round pick, and he still has some interesting physical tools. So you kind of have both ends of the spectrum there. Sure, he's a relatively high draft pick, but... There's a lot of guys ahead of him, and they're they're going to not be asking him to do necessarily a lot of things. So we'll see here. Similar for Oren Burks. Um, he has some high expectations on the one hand because the Packers traded up to get him. 
And he's sort of this fun, interesting hybrid kind of player. What is he? Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? Kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. Who really knows? And because of his athletic gifts, I think his expectations would be higher than your typical quasi number three linebacker coming into the year. The Packers have been trying these last couple of years to get more athletic defense. And so he, he's more than just that sort of number three linebacker behind Blake Martinez and Jake Ryan, but it's not really clear what his role is going to be, so it's hard to peg him as having really high expectations. And since he's a third-round pick, you can't really say his expectations are low. So, who knows? Josh Jackson. I struggled with this one because I wanted to put him in high expectations, but consider where he sits on the depth chart. He's probably third or even fourth right now, but behind Kevin King, Tremont Williams, Dreyer, Alexander, and and then probably Jackson. How high can his expectations reasonably be? There was a chance he was going to be the Packers' first-round pick. Supposedly, they liked him in the first round, and I even predicted that he'd be one of the guys they'd consider taking at their original slot of 14. But since they got him in the second round, and since, as a result, there are a lot of guys ahead of him on that depth chart, I don't know how high your expectations for him can really be. And being able to avoid some of that spotlight is... Not a bad situation for him to be in. He gets to kind of just grow without some of the pressure that comes along with being a first-round pick. So, good for him. Dean Lowry. This is another one I struggled with because he had a solid season playing quite a few snaps last year and he figures to do much the same this year. But it feels to me that maybe Dean Lowry is a little bit on the, maybe trending towards tapped out. What I mean by that is this. Uh, Every player has sort of this ideal version of themselves that they can become, kind of their ceiling as a player. To me, Lowry seems like a guy who's pretty close to that ceiling. What we saw from him last year seems like pretty close to peak Dean Lowry. He plays all the positions along the defensive line, does it reasonably well, uh, doesn't screw up for you, but he's not an overwhelming physical talent who's really going to be this sort of world-beating player. There's nothing wrong with that. You need guys like that. And I just wonder if he's ever going to be anything more than that. Again, it's not bad to be a guy who gets it done, who gets his job done on every play. I just think if you're going to have high expectations for a guy, it probably you probably need to be a player who does a little bit more than that. And I'm not sure that's Lowry right now. Could change, but I think he's a pretty moderate expectation sort of guy. The Packers seem to have gotten a pretty good return on the pick of Dean Lowry. So far, big Lowry fan. Kind of funny. I mention this every time, but he's just a funny-shaped sort of guy. I can't unsee it now that now that I've seen how, how weird-looking he kind of looks. Long arms. Well, maybe not so long arms, but long torso, short legs. Another sort of questionable player. Not questionable. Questionable isn't the right word. Puzzling player. A bit of an enigma is Chris Odom. Uh, he only played only ended up on the active roster last year because the Packers sniped him from Atlanta on waivers. And they pretty much had to keep him on the active roster all year because if they put him on the practice squad, Atlanta probably would have just taken him right back. Odom ended up in the tough situation of having to learn how to be a 3-4 outside linebacker on the fly, going from rushing from a three-point stance to rushing standing up. He had never done it before and he had to learn it while being on the active roster of an NFL team. No easy feat, and he struggled with it last year, but now he's been doing it for a year. What can he be? Who really knows? But he was a very effective pass rusher in college, and there's a chance that he could be that again. We do know that he's fairly 
athletic for his size. He's not an, a Nick Perry type uh, who had phenomenal testing numbers, but he's maybe like an extremely poor man's version of that, you know, a big, heavily built outside linebacker type. What does that mean for the player he could become? Who really knows? We haven't seen a lot of good Chris Odom yet, but he does have the potential there, so it's hard to not be completely down on him. Expectations are pretty moderate, though, and they would have been otherwise because the Packers haven't invested quite a bit of resources in him to date. They they allowed him to take up a roster spot for all of last year for pretty much no return. It's time to start seeing some return on that investment. Last one with moderate expectations is Lindsey Pipkins. I know there's a lot of people who are high on Lindsey Pipkins. For the most part, I would count myself among them. But he faces a lot of the the questions that a guy even like Dimitri Goodson or Quentin Rollins faces without, of course, the injury considerations there. But where on the depth chart does he fit? Even at his best, he's probably no higher than fourth. Uh, who would you put him ahead? Devon House, Dimitri Goodson, Quentin Rollins. That's about it. You wouldn't put ahead put him ahead of Kevin King, Jair Alexander, Jermon Williams, or Josh Jackson, more than likely. So, what kind of role does that leave him with? Who really knows? He played hard, played well, reasonably well when he got opportunities last year, but his opportunities were few and far between for reasons that I've never really understood. So, he could play a big role this year. He could just be a, a body you keep around for relatively decent depth. He's worth watching, but I think it's going to be, it's a tough sell to convince me that we should be really high on Lindsey Pipkins. I think he's going to compete like heck in training camp, but where's where's the route to big playing time or a big role for our big role for him? I don't really see it. Let's move to high expectations and then then get out of here for this week. High expectations. Uh, I've got five guys I want to talk about here. And three of them, or two of them, we really don't have to spend a whole lot of time on. Jair Alexander, Vince Beagle, Blake Martinez, Muhammad Wilkerson, and Tremon Williams. Wilkerson and Williams, I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on here. Both of them are kind of similar um, in, in some ways. The veteran free agent addition that you're not really sure completely what you're getting, but if things go well, they're going to be very valuable contributors on your team. If things go well for Wilkerson or Williams or Wilkerson and Williams, these are the kind of guys that you envision starting every game for the Packers this year, potentially. If the pack if you view three cornerbacks as being starters, which you probably should at, at this point in the NFL's evolution, um, Williams will probably in the you know in the in the best case scenario probably be one of those three starters or alternating between three and four with a guy like Josh Jackson. So much the same for Wilkerson. He'll probably be one of the Packers three or four, depending what Mike Pettin does, starting defensive linemen if things go according to plan. And I, I think it's reasonably safe to expect fairly big things out of those guys if they end up in those situations where they're starting or playing a significant amount of time. Rookie, 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 Jair Alexander. Uh, it's hard to have high expectations for for a rookie, but given what the Packers have seen at cornerback over the past few years, it's hard to not have high expectations. And uh, 
frankly, just from an athletic perspective, it's hard to think of him as having anything but high expectations. I mean, just from a pure, pure numbers perspective, it's hard to, to think of Alexander as anything but a starting caliber corner, even as a rookie. He does the things that the Packers need from their rookie corners, or from not even just from their rookie corners, from their from their corners in general so well. His agility numbers are good. He's an explosive athlete. He runs well. He plays press man corner reason. And he's going to be expected to be in the starting lineup, if not right at the start of the season, very early on. And the Packers need help in the secondary. That is still true now, even after these two high draft picks at cornerback. Until there is some proven production there for these guys, we have to assume that they need help there. And Alexander is one of the guys charged with meeting that need. Similarly for Vince Beagle, the Packers did not add much help uh, at edge rusher really at all this offseason. And that leaves Beagle, Reggie Gilbert, and Kyler Fackrell as the three guys the Packers will more than likely be turning to for some kind of depth behind Clay Matthews and Nick Perry. And it's a pretty safe bet that Perry or Matthews or both will be injured at some point this season, leaving Vince Beagle as one of the first guys off the bench to replace him. The Packers have to be pretty confident that he can do that if they were willing to go the entire offseason without investing any additional resources into the position. Beagle has to deliver this year because he went pretty much all of last season without doing anything of note. Redshirt season is over. He's got to step up now. Let's conclude by talking a little bit about Blake Martinez. Like we talked about with Dean Lowry, I think Blake Martinez is kind of a guy who may be approaching his ceiling as a player. But he played so well last year at doing the things that Blake Martinez does that it's hard to have anything but high expectations for him. He may not improve much as a player from here on out, but as long as he keeps doing the things that he's doing, we're going to have reasonably high expectations for him. He is assignment sure. He gets everybody where they need, need to be. Uh, he is the, the mental leader on the defense. And that's a big role, even if it doesn't always lead to spectacular stats. And I know he did lead the league in tackles, so those are some pretty spectacular numbers. But I think you understand what I mean. He's not a big turnover guy. He's got a penchant for dropping interceptions. And uh, I, I don't know if he's ever really going to grow much beyond that. I would love it if he did, but we really just have to expect him to be a leader of this defense because of what he's done in the past. Will he grow? I don't think so. But if he continues to do what he has been doing, that's pretty good for the Packers. We will, again, have these entire lists, both offense and defense, posted uh, on thepowersweep.com sometime between now and the start of training camp or early in training camp as we explore this, con- uh, this question about expectations in more depth. While I've got you here, I wanted to take a quick second to explore a quasi-question slash comment that I got at thepowersweep.com. We've been slowly working through this quarterback week 
I'm doing air quotes right now, uh, feature at thepowersweep.com. The timing of it hasn't exactly worked out how I thought it was going to. So it's really turned from quarterback week into quarterback, however long it takes me to work through all of the topic ideas that I have within a reasonable time period. We're going to stick with calling it quarterback week because that other name really just doesn't work for me. But I think you understand what I'm saying. On my piece that I wrote about who is responsible for failing Brett Hundley, commenter kind of posed a good question, and I thought it was worth our time to maybe dive into that a little bit. He says, Outside of Devontae Adams, I also wonder about having enough receiving talent to have viable windows to throw the ball into. Watching Rodgers before his injury, it sure took the ball a long time before making a throw. Seeing the Pack's offseason moves, it does appear that they wanted significant changes at wide receiver and tight end. And he signs it under a screen name, so... I don't feel too bad about not sharing the name here. A couple of thoughts here. First, um, I think I agree in large part with the overall receiving talent that Hundley had to work with. Um, The Packers on offense like to have their receivers get open by winning one-on-one matchups. And last season, the Packers really didn't have any guys outside of Devontae Adams who could do that regularly. Jordy Nelson is not fast enough anymore to do that with any kind of regularity, or so it seemed last season. And Randall Cobb works best when he's playing off of other players. Because of the player that he is, his routes tend to maybe not develop quite as quickly as a guy like Devontae Adams. So in one instance, or in, in one sense, I think that's a good point. Maybe why, uh, receiving talent was not really there for Hundley. And this is to say nothing of tight end, because the Packers' tight end position was a wasteland from a receiving perspective last year for a, an abundance of reasons, which we don't need to go in here. Cough, Martellus Bennett, cough. Um, but I do have to push back a little bit here on, on one point, because I don't think watching Aaron Rodgers is necessarily a good guideline for how Brett Hundley should be playing as a quarterback. Because dating back to early 2015, Aaron Rodgers has really developed an infuriating habit of not getting rid of the ball in a timely manner. Um, And I think that's just a quirk of how he plays. Sometimes he passes up wide open receivers in hopes of making a bigger play by sort of working the pocket, allowing them to work open and striking from there. And it's worked really well on the whole for Rodgers but it makes it tough to evaluate what you're really getting from your wide receivers because he doesn't get the ball out on schedule. So I I would like to give Hundley a bit of a pass for how his receivers played last year because I think there is some merit to it, but I don't think it's it's fair to evaluate the receivers based on how Rodgers played. But to bring it all home, I think the commenter is absolutely right that the Packers could not have been happy with their receiver slash tight end, let's just call it pass catcher situation, because they spent three draft picks on wide receivers and then brought in two free agent tight end. The tight end position is something the Packers have been trying to get right for more than half a decade now since Jermichael Finley got hurt. And whether or not they're there remains to be seen, but they're trying. They're trying to get something done. So I think it's safe to say that they're not super happy with at least one part of that equation. And, you know, with the wide receivers, clearly they had to get younger and cheaper. Uh, and they took steps to do that. Um, 
I think getting rid of Jordy Nelson, saying it that way is, it makes it sound harsher than it is. Releasing Jordy Nelson to create cap space sounds better. I still think that was the right move. I do wonder if they could not have gotten something done to keep him around for another year. But if you really don't want him around, why why do something like that? So I think the commenter is right that the Packers did want to go a bit of a different direction at receiver. Maybe there is something to the idea that guys just aren't getting open as quickly, but it is tough to evaluate it with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Does all that make sense? I hope so. Getting late here in Ohio. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Episode 90. Wow. You can find us as you always do at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you would like to reach out via email, find us at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you freest, easiest, and cheapest way to do that is to leave us a review on iTunes or the podcast listening platform of your choice. Wherever you can leave reviews, please do so. It helps more people find the show. If financial support is more your speed, and I would appreciate it if it was, you can support us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or by buying one of our fabulous t-shirts at teespring.com. Click on the store link at thepowersweep.com to go directly to our Teespring store. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.